Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge. Glad to see you in the room. And those of you that are joining us online, thank you. Good to have you with us. And uh, one more just note and thought. Remember that a three-day weekend, especially this weekend, means that we need to pause and we need to remember why we have a three-day weekend. Why do we have the freedom that we have? Freedom is not free. It just isn't. There are people that paid the ultimate price, and so I'm glad that we have an opportunity to make sure we honor them, their sacrifice, and the people who are, have given their life for us to experience freedom here. Um, so thank you for being here today. So I want to start by asking you some participation questions, okay? Don't worry, it's really easy. All you have to do is raise your hand, okay? So, if you had a choice between only chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream, there's no other options. The only option is chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. How many of you would be chocolate ice cream, all right? Okay, how many of you would be vanilla, just so I can get a... Okay, that was about an even split. That was about 50-50. We are an anomaly here, you know, because vanilla is said to be like way at the top above all else. That's not true at Northridge. Way to go, Northridge. Way to be unique or weird or whatever you are. That's awesome, all right? I love that. Okay, let, let's poll the audience again, all right? One, uh, another one. Vacation. If you only had the choice between beach or the mountains? I think I just want to know, all right? How many of you would be the beach all day long? Like, you're the beach, okay? How many of you would be the mountains? Man, we're about 50-50. I think the beach slightly won on that one. Just slightly, though. I'll say that, just slightly, all right? You guys know where I stand. I'm a mountains guy, right? Okay, uh, let, me, uh, let me ask this question. How many of you were actually born in Wisconsin? Like, you live here, but you were born here. That's... That's about 75% of us in here. That's pretty amazing. Okay, cool. Just curious. Okay, I am totally, I have no idea how this one's going to go. How many of you have ever been in a car accident? It doesn't mean you were driving, but you've been in a vehicle that was in a car accident. Okay, that's, that's a lot of us in here. Okay, that's quite a few of us. Okay, uh, this last question is a serious question. Okay? You've noticed that we've had a little bit, like sometimes it was a third, sometimes it was 50%, sometimes 75%, sometimes, you know, about 75% is about as high as we've been. Now I want to ask you this question. It's a more serious question. How many of you have ever been in any way hurt by another human being? Basically everybody. Today... We land the plane on the series called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, by asking a really important and clearly, by everybody's hands raised, a relevant question. And the question is very simply this. How do I face hurt from people? Ooh, you thought it was a holiday weekend, so we were going to make it easy. <laughs> nope. This is one of those things, and it's a question that, if we were going to be honest, sometimes the pain that we receive, the hurt that we receive from other human beings is the worst kind, isn't it? Right? If, I, if I'm working and I hit my, you know, my finger with a, with a hammer or something like that, man, let me tell you, that hurts. But it doesn't last as long as if somebody betrays me. The pain, the hurt from people is intense. And it's relevant because every person in the world will go through their life and at some point will be hurt by another person. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. But the truth is that happens, isn't it? And so what I want to do today is I want to answer that question. How do we face it? How do we deal with it? How do we handle it? Because we've all been hurt by another person. Or all will be hurt by another person. So how do we face it? How do we deal with it? Well, uh, to answer this question, I would need to give you some context. Okay? So I was praying about this, and then I was thinking through this. This is kind of my progression. I pray about a topic, then I think about it when I know this is... Not when I'm trying to determine the topic. I certainly pray about that too. But when I know what the topic is, then I start praying about it. I start thinking about it. And then the third thing that I do is I start researching it. 
I start wanting, I want to learn more about it because I don't think that I've got all the knowledge. And so I start digging in and I start reading about things. Sometimes I'll go on the internet, sometimes I'll look at books, whatever. So in this particular case, I started researching this topic and I got onto the internet and I came across this article. And this article is written by a pastor that I've never heard of before. His name is Caleb Mathis. There's a reason I'm telling you this. His name is Caleb Mathis. He's, a, he's an assistant pastor. He's on staff at this large church in Ohio. I've never heard of him before. I've never heard of their church before. But his name is Caleb Mathis, and he wrote this article, and he specifically wrote an article about how to get over or how to deal with hurt from the church. Now, the reason I came on that specific article was because the original topic for today was specifically how to get over or how to deal with hurt from the church. But as I read that article, God was really clear, Brent, I just gave you your message. And it was about church hurt, but, but God said something else. Even though I was reading an article about the topic we were going to be talking about, God says, I need you to expand the topic. You need to talk about all hurt because it's going to be needed. Okay. And so even though I read this article on church hurt, the article applies to all hurt when it comes from people. And so the reason I tell you that is because the four points today are four of the five points that he makes in the article. The fifth point, I felt like he just repeated what he already said, and so I dropped it. It's a great article. I'm not saying that. It was a really good article. But these four points that I'm about to make are the four points that Pastor Caleb Mathis from Ohio, this church in Ohio, wrote. So I just wanted to tell you where it came from. But as I read it, I was like, brilliant. Amazing. Every, every point. I was like, he nails it. And so I'm going to share with you four things. Four things, four ways that you can deal with church and other people hurt. It could be betrayal. It could be lying. It could be gossip. It could be abuse. Whatever that hurt is, these four things apply to how we can deal with those things. All right? All right, so let's jump in. Number one. And again, remember, these come from that article. So if you don't like these points, call Pastor Caleb Mathis. He's the one that wrote these. Okay? I'm serious. I'll give you his email. It's on the church website. I actually don't remember the name of the church, but I can give it to you, all right, where the article was. But these are the, these are the four points, all right? Number one, you have to admit the pain. You've heard the phrase or the saying like the first step is admitting you need help. The first step to understanding and healing from your pain is admitting that you have pain. For some of us, this is going to be the hardest step. Because you don't want to admit it. You don't want to feel it. You do not want to believe that you have been hurt. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Hitch, I did not have this in my notes, but last night as I was running through it, God brought this to my mind. If you've seen the movie Hitch, it's about uh, these two people that fall in love or trying to fall in love. And the main character is Will Smith. He's played by Will Smith. And uh, there's a moment in the movie where uh, he, he, like, they have a problem. They have a major conflict. I'm trying not to give the, way, the, movie, the, the movie away, all right? Because it's kind of a funny movie. Sometime you can watch it. But Will Smith, you know, they, they have this falling out. And then at one point in the scene, the woman comes to Will Smith, finds him on the side of the street, and she says, I'm sorry I hurt you. And Will, Miss, Will Smith says right away, he does this. He looks at her and he says, you didn't. Just like that. As in, you mean nothing to me, don't worry. You didn't hurt me. And the reason he said that, why, is because two reasons. One, he doesn't want her to know that, that she hurt him. She doesn't want her to know. He, he does not want to give her the satisfaction, but he also doesn't want to admit that he's hurting. That's why he says, you didn't. I'm fine. I'll be just fine. Thank you very much. And it doesn't want to admit the pain. But then there's another reason why we kind of gloss over this. We as Christians, we believe this sometimes. We believe as followers of Christ that since we have Jesus, since we have faith in Christ, that we should always be happy, joyful, and doing great. Right? Now, we don't say that and be like, well, I have Jesus, so everything's terrible, but I'm doing awesome. Plastic face. Right? 
And we sometimes get this idea, though, don't we, as Christians? We get this idea that since we have Jesus, we should always be good. We should always be joyful. We should always be happy. Everything should always be fine. We're never in pain. But I don't know about you, but you have you read this book? <laughs> oh, man. The Bible is clear. There are so many people in here who are suffering badly. And the Bible doesn't hide it. We just sometimes gloss over it and we act like, well, if we have Jesus, we're supposed to be constantly perfect and good. And we're never supposed to dip below this line, you know, into the depression or sadness or anger. We should never go down here because we have Jesus. Let me tell you, all the people in here, at least most of the ones that I read about, they were depressed. They were angry. They were sad at times in their lives. Did they stay there? No. Did God help pull them out of that? Yes. You shouldn't stay there. I'm not saying that. But they were there. Let me give you an example. This is a guy in the Bible that we tend to avoid. We don't talk, we don't talk about him. We don't preach on him. The reason we don't is because he's a glass, half-empty kind of guy. He is. He's a, he's a kind of a negative, pessimistic guy. And, and he hits a season in his life where he was incredibly depressed. You know who I'm talking about? Jeremiah. Oh, Jeremiah the prophet. If you read the book of Jeremiah, if you want to be encouraged, do not read the book of Jeremiah. Unless you just want to know somebody else has it really bad. And you're like, okay, that'll make me feel better. If you want to do that, cool. But Jeremiah, I'm going to read a passage for you in when he was at the lowest of the lowest of the low. And you're going to tell. Now, just warning, this is some pretty intense stuff that I'm about to read. This is not an encouraging, uplifting scripture. Let me read it for you. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 through 18. Jeremiah writes, Yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, Good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts because he did not kill me at birth. You can see how serious this is. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Does that sound like somebody who's having a good day? How many of you are like, man, write that down. I need to get a frame and I need to put that on my wall. Because I just need some scriptural encouragement today. Mm. I mean, maybe if you want to compare yourself to Jeremiah, you'd be like, well, I'm doing better than he is. <laughs> That's pretty brutal. You know what I read in that, though? Uh, by the way, in my Bible, this is called Jeremiah's complaint. I'm like, that's understating it a bit. It's <laughs> just slightly saying, I think that's more than that. It's a little more than a complaint. You know what I see there? I see a cry for help. Don't you? He wants his life to be over. This is where we call suicide hotline. We all know where he's at. He wants to die. Some of us have been there. What Jeremiah is doing is he is admitting his pain. And do you know where his pain came from? I didn't read this part of the complaint. <laughs> complaint. But the pain came from people. He was feeling this way because he's a prophet of God. He's a messenger of God. He's delivering news and he's delivering stuff from God. He's God's messenger. But everybody was making fun of him. They weren't listening to him. They were ignoring him. They were straying apart. He was lonely. He had people betray him walk out of his life that should have been there. And he's feeling the pain of that. See, he's showing that pain. He's, he's revealing, he's admitting that he's in pain. He didn't hide it. He's saying, God, this is what I want to happen. I want my life to be done. He's admitting there's pain. Now, if you want to read the rest of the book of Jeremiah, does he climb out of this? Yes, he does. But in this moment, he admitted his pain. Think about toddlers. Has anybody ever seen toddlers? Anywhere like the, you know, two-year-old to five-year-old range, right? They're awesome. You know why they're awesome? Because you just get what you get. Like, they do not filter, right? There's no filter. <laughs> I love it. 
And, and sometimes, uh, understand, Laura and I, we've had toddlers, right? And so we can learn some wonderful things from toddlers, but we can also learn some unhealthy things from toddlers. For example, uh, if you see a bunch of toddlers like fighting over the same toy, you know what their favorite word is when they get it? Mine. And they don't say mine. Mine. You ever heard that? Oh, man, we heard that a lot. Mine. Right? Or when, when uh, a, a toddler gets angry, what happens? I don't know if you've ever seen this, but sometimes you need to get ready to duck because they're going to chuck something. Right? Have you ever seen to, when they get angry, you're like, whoa, that was, that just, woo, lost a little, little skin on my face. Right? So sometimes it's unhealthy, but can I tell you something that's really healthy about toddlers? When they are threatened, when they are in pain, when they, when they hurt, they let it out. They show it. They don't hide it. You know it, don't you? Now, do they show it in the healthiest way? No. But you don't have to guess whether or not they're in pain. If they're hurting. If something's unfair, they let you know. Their hurt comes out very, very quickly. So what we need to do is, but here, here's the truth. What we tend to do with our pain is we stuff it. We stuff it. Put on a face. And we say, how you doing? We were just having this conversation. Weren't we, Plunkets? <laughs> just upstairs, just a few minutes ago. We were talking about this. What's, what's the pat answer? Oh, fine. Good. 98% of the time, that's what somebody's going to say when you say, how are you doing? Fine. Good. And usually followed up with, I talked about this a few weeks ago, what's the next word? Busy. Listen. Well, listen to what people say. Fine. Good. Busy. That's what you're going to hear. I can, pretty, I can put money on it and be a rich person tomorrow. That's what you're going to hear. Because that's our pat answer. We stuff it. We shove it. We hide it. We put it on the face. And we're like, because we don't want to deal with it. And we know the person in front of us doesn't want to deal with it. And they don't have time to deal with it. And so what we do is we stuff it. What we need to do is we need to show it. We need to take a playbook from the toddler and show it. Now, should you start chucking stuff? No. You could literally, as an adult, be arrested for those kinds of things, right? If you hurt something or break a window or something like that, yeah, that's not good. But you know what we do? But can we be really, really honest for a minute? We adults, we sometimes act like we're so much better than kids, like toddlers. <laughs> Hilarious. We just throw tantrum, tantrums in a different way. You know what we call it? We call it social media. You think I'm kidding? That's our way of chucking stuff. I'm going to throw them under the bus in front of everybody to make sure that they hurt more than I hurt right now. That's the equivalent of a toddler chucking a truck at your face. It's the same thing. It's, but, but it's more nuanced. I used social media. I, I worded it well. Yeah, it was still cruel. And for all to see. What we need to do is we need to admit it. We need to not air our stuff on social media. We need to air it out, yes, but with a trusted friend, with a professional counselor, with somebody that cares and is safe. We need to air it with somebody that is safe and cares about it and will be compassionate. So the first step, if you're going to deal with pain, you have to admit it. You have to admit that it's there. A lot of people that I know, they never face their pain because they don't want to think about it. It's easier to set up, build up a wall and be callous. Protect. Castle. Okay, I'm good. Admit the pain. Second thing, we need to trace the pain. What do I mean by that? If we're going to trace the pain, that means we need to ask the question, where did the pain come from? Who did this? Now, you might think, that's obvious, isn't it? Like, I know who hurt me. I know who betrayed me. I know who abused me. I know who, whatever, fill in the blank. I know who it was. Do you? Because here's what we tend to do. We tend to attach the hurt and the pain to more than just the person who hurt us. We expand it. If it happened, for example, in a church, 
We attach it to the whole church. Sometimes we attach it to the big C church, all churches. If it was uh, a guy or a gal or if it's somebody at work, then all of a sudden that company becomes evil. Don't we? We add other people in and, and we kind of attach all this. Here's an important principle to remember. And I'm not diminishing the pain that you feel, the hurt that you receive from that person. I'm not diminishing that at all. I'm simply saying don't expand it. Here's a principle to remember. Hurt from one person does not equal hurt from all people. It doesn't make all people evil. It doesn't make all people in that group evil. There's a lot of stuff in our culture where we are attaching hurt to whole groups of people. We see it in the news. I know this is sensitive territory, but that's what we're doing. We're attaching hurt to entire groups of people and saying all those people in this group are hurting these people in this way. Trace the pain. Who is causing the problem? And let's talk about church pain for a minute because if I were to ask, I'm not going to ask this question because I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you to out yourselves uh, quite in this vulnerable way, but if I were to ask how many of you have been hurt by a church in some way, I'm guessing there's quite a few hands that would go up in this room online. Some of you are smiling because you know you're, you're one of them. You've experienced it. I know. I've, I've had a lot of conversations about this. There's a lot of church hurt out there. So let's talk about this. Were you hurt by the building... Or were you hurt by a person in the church? Right? Think about that. Were you hurt by a building? Like, did the building hurt you in some way? Sometimes we think of a church as a building. It's wrong. Or were you hurt by a person in the church? Now, we sometimes get, let's be honest, church hurt is painful. You know why? Number one, because it comes from people. But number two, because we expect the church to be people who are representing the love and forgiveness and grace of God. Right? Don't we? Isn't that what we, like we walk in expecting God, that people here are going to give unconditional love because we're supposed to be representing being the face of God to everybody else. And so when that happens and somebody hurts us, we're like, wait, that doesn't line up with who God is. And it hurts us even more, even deeply. But the truth is that the church has always been and will always be imperfect. Let me give you a couple of examples of this from Scripture. Jesus' own disciples. Let me just ask you this. Do you think they caused her? Oh, man. Let me, let me just throw one name out to you. Judas. Anybody know who Judas is? One of the 12 disciples, one of the hand-picked 12 guys that Jesus chose to be with him and to change the world. But what did Judas do? Judas chose to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces. It's not actually a ton. It's not a small amount, but it's not a huge amount either. It's not like he hit the jackpot. It's not like a million dollars. But he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Just let me ask you this. Do you think that caused a rift between him and Jesus and the rest of the disciples? Just, just imagine, just put this in modern context. Let's say that I know something really deep, dark secret about one of my staff members. And somebody offers me money if I would air it out on social media, throw them under the bus. Brent, we'll give you $5,000 if you would air this out and put this out about one of your staff members. Let, let everybody know what they did. Oh, $5,000. Okay, sounds good. Hand it in. Let's go. I just get on there, I post it, I throw it out. Let me ask you this. How would my betrayal go? How's my relationship going to be with one of my staff members at that point? Non-existent. It's not going to be good. Judas caused a huge rift in the relationship. This is the guy that was with Jesus. Let me give you another example from the disciples. So there's another moment where two of the disciples, James and John, do you remember this moment? James and John, they bring their mother with them, and they go to ask Jesus a question. You know what their question was? Jesus, when the kingdom, you know, kicks in, like when you establish your kingdom, can we be on the right and left hand of you? In other words, can we, we, we know you're number one, Jesus. We, we, we get that. But we'd like to be number two. We'd like to be next in command. These other, you know, ten disciples, those, you know, out of the twelve, these other ten guys, they're great. 
but we'd like to be number two, right underneath you. Would that be okay? Guess what? The other disciples found out. Let me read for you what they said or what happened in that moment. Matthew 20, 24. When the, other ten, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now, how many of you have used the word indignant lately? I am just indignant. No, me neither. You know what indignant means? Indignant is a very specific word for very specific anger that we feel as human beings when we believe something is unfair. When we have been mistreated, when something is not right, it is a very specific anger when we feel something is unjust. They were angry. Why? Because James and John were asking to be better, to be treated more than, to be treated above the rest of the other ten. Do you think this caused a rift in their relationship? (laughs) You better believe it did. It was a huge rift. Perhaps this is why this is what Jesus said in the next breath. Listen to what he said. He said, For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now we quote I quote that phrase all the time, but it's interesting that Jesus says this in the moment where James and John asked to be the better ones than the other disciples. What Jesus is saying is, Oh, I have a quick principle to teach you here today. I came not to be served, but to serve. Sometimes we forget this. The church, this, we are here to serve, not be served. The reason that's important is because when we forget that, we hurt people. When it becomes about what we want, when it becomes about what we need, when it becomes about what, whatever, then we start looking out for our own interests and we hurt other people in the process. And so let's go, let's go back to the church. Sometimes, in fact, let me ask you this. Don't raise your hand on this, but let me ask you this question. How many of you in here know another person that doesn't want to go to church because they were hurt by the church at some point. I know, I know a lot. I know quite a few. I've invited many of them. I'm guessing that almost everybody in here knows at least one person, if not many people, who do not want to go to a church because they were previously hurt by a church. Now, let me ask you this question. Do they not want to go to church because they don't like Jesus? Or do they not want to go to church because someone in a church made them believe that there's always going to be pain from the church? This is what I hear. Somebody did something to them at some point, a person in a church somewhere, and now their church hurt from that person they attach to the big C church, global church. Doesn't matter what church it is, they're painful. Again, I'm not diminishing their pain. I'm just saying that it easily is attached to all people. You know what I find? One of the things that that has to be done a lot of times is we have to work all the way back to the pain and talk through that so that we can get to the place where we say, okay, now, for example, Northridge, if they're talking to us about our church, I'll say, I want you to be clear, our church is not perfect. I'm I'm gonna be the first one to tell you If you're looking for a perfect church, we're not the perfect church. I'm sorry to tell you. We're just not. Because I'm not the perfect pastor. Most of you knew that. Yeah, tell us something we don't know. I'm not the perfect pastor. We're not full of perfect people. You guys are amazing, and I love you. But you're not perfect. That's okay. We are going to mess up. If you knew, there's not been a lot of times, but there's been a few times that I've had to confront people who were attacking other people in our church. If I ever invite you to Culver's, just be worried. (laughs) The reason I say that is because the two major confrontational relationship discussions that I've had to have have happened at Culver's here in Wanakee. Mm. 
give you some Culver's, and then here we go. They knew when they came to Culver's what we were getting into. It wasn't a blind side. The truth is that sometimes we attach hurt from a person in a church to the church, the Bible, and faith in general. When, let's be honest about a couple of things about that person that caused hurt. Two possibilities. One, they were trying to follow Christ. They're genuinely trying to do that, but they're imperfect and they messed up royally. I'm not saying the hurt is okay. It's not. I'm not saying the abuse is okay. It's not. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not. I'm simply saying that they messed up. They're not perfect, and so they hurt you. Or, and this is, I think, the larger percentage of this. I honestly do. We don't like to talk about this out loud, but I'm going to say it. It's possible that that person said in name that they were a follower of Jesus, but they're not living like it. And so they don't care who they hurt. They look good on the outside, but it doesn't matter to them who they hurt, and so they're going to hurt anybody whether they're in the church or not. Most of the time I see that that's the case. And so sometimes we need to realize that we throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, when we shouldn't do that. I love what Pastor Caleb Mathis says. Listen to what he says in his article about this, about you know, attaching hurt to everybody. He says, you'd never junk your entire car just because you got a flat tire. Instead, you'd address the broken spot, get help if you needed it, and jump back on the road. You're not going to be like, oh, flat tire, this car is worthless. Let's bring the sledgehammers. But that's what we sometimes do with hurt, isn't it? It's like everybody that's connected to that clearly is going to be hurtful. That's not true. Address the hurtful problem, for sure. Don't attach it to everybody else. All right, so trace the pain. We need to admit the pain. We need to trace the pain. These last two are going to be a little bit shorter, but they're so, so important. The third one is we need to create space from the pain. A lot of people that I know, and I, I still don't fully understand this, but, but a lot of people that I know, they stay with the person or they allow the person to continue hurting them for a long time. Some of you know this because you did this too. You've got to separate from whatever's causing you pain. Uh, for example, if you play a sport or you're doing yard work or something like that, and let's say you injure yourself, right? You're, you're, maybe you're playing soccer, right? And, and you're running, and all of a sudden you hit uh, an uneven spot in the field, and you just twist, you sprain your ankle really bad. It starts swelling up. Let me ask you, what is the first thing that you need to do for the next several days? You need to not do what? Don't run, right? Don't go out there. Don't be like, we're going to keep playing soccer. Woo! This is, I mean, my ankle's twice the size, but I'm sure it'll be fine. That's not a good way to go. Why? Because it's not going to heal. You've got to stop. You have to create space. You have to separate yourself from whatever is causing the pain. We get this in a sport, but we don't always get this emotionally. Relationally. We've got to create space between us and the people or the person who is has done hurt to us or is doing hurt to us. Create space. Separate. I know we've got people in this very room that could tell you the same thing. I should have quit earlier. I should have gotten away from that person er sooner. I, I wish I would have known now what I, you know, what I know now. I, I wish I would have known that. I, I should have separated so much earlier. I could have saved so much pain. So many of you in here know this. You're helping people walk through that, or you walked through it yourself. I know that. Create space from the pain. And by the way, Pastor Caleb says this. This is really important. If you separate yourself from the pain, that's a good thing. Do not isolate yourself, though. This is what people sometimes do. They separate themselves from the person who hurt them, but then they separate themselves from all people to protect from future pain. They isolate this is what Pastor Caleb says, and it's, it's true. Alone with your pain is a dangerous place to be. Don't isolate. Don't isolate. So when I was coaching soccer at the high school, uh, it was often that, you know, one of our players throughout the season would get hurt. They would get injured. 
And so the first thing that we would do is we would separate them out from doing the normal team stuff on practices and games, things like that. That's what we do. And so, so when I was coaching, the, I coached the freshman team and then later the JV team. And so no matter what team it was, it didn't matter. We'd take that player and we'd set him off the side and we'd say, okay, you need to take a few days. If it was serious enough, we'd say, go see a doctor, obviously. And the doctor would say, okay, this is how many days. This is what you need to do. This is the PT, you know, physical therapy that you need to do, all kind of stuff. But we would create space. But here's what we didn't do. We did not isolate that player from the team. The player would still come, even if he was on crutches. He would come and join the team. He would hang around at the practice. He would help the managers get the water and things like that. They loved doing that, by the way. Coach Brent, why do I have to come get the water? I'm like, because you need to just do something. Right? They were part of the... Why? Because if they were isolated, you know what would happen? Right? Then they lose the connection to the team. They lose the connection to the strategy. They might be out for a week or two, and then they're going to be back in. They need to be hearing all the stuff that I or the other coaches are talking about. They're not, they're not, not, the, they're not, not a part of the team. They're still a part of the team. We can't isolate them, but they definitely need to take a break from what is causing them pain. So create space, but don't isolate. Jesus did this. Jesus went away frequently to pray, didn't he? You know, he went to go away frequently to pray by himself to his heavenly father. But then also sometimes he would bring the disciples. Why did he do that? You know why Jesus did that? Because he needed to heal. We don't think about that with Jesus. Jesus needed to heal. His soul needed to be replenished, refreshed, restored from all the work and all the ministry of the day. Jesus was called out by the Pharisees. What were they trying to do to Jesus constantly or trying to trip him up? Do you think that got exhausting? If somebody's trying to get you, does that get exhausting? Anybody have a person in their life, they're constantly nipping at you, right? They're trying to get at you. They're trying to get you down. And, or, or you're trying to like compromise with somebody. Could be an ex-spouse. Anybody have problems with ex-spouses? At all? Yeah, a little bit. And they're trying to constantly undermine you? Does it get tiring? <laughs> of course it does. We have to create that space. Jesus needed time to restore, to heal, to replenish his soul so that he could go back the next day and pour himself out again. If Jesus, who is perfect, needed rest and needed healing, I think we do too. So we need to create space from the pain. All right, last one. Might be the hardest one for some of us. Some of us, it was the first, number one, admitting it. Some of us, this will be the hardest one by far. Number four, we need to heal the pain. Healing the pain when it comes to people hurt, there's, only, there's literally only one thing you can do. It's the word, it's the action that we love when it comes to us, but we hate when it has to go from us. You know what that word is? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. We need to offer forgiveness. By the way, Pastor Caleb in that article, he shared something that I'd never read before, I've never heard before. It's a beautiful point, and I want to share it, basically how, kind of how he shares it. So he highlights a couple of different passages in this article, and it's just beautiful. I want to highlight the first one. The first one comes from the most famous prayer in the world, the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus is talking. This is what he says in Matthew 6, 12. He says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Lord's Prayer, right? We all, and some of you are like, that's the wrong way. It should be trespasses. And some of the rest of you in here, they're like, no, it shouldn't. It should be debt and debtors. Oh, let's have fun arguing over that for a little while. Have you been in those arguments? I have. Oh, man, those are fun. I'm like, who cares? That's where I'm at. Who cares? You know why? Because they're all saying the exact same thing. Forgi you know, all we're saying is, God, please forgive me of my sins and help me to forgive sins of others. That's it. Trespasses, debts, debtors, yup, same thing. But here's what's really cool. Pastor Caleb actually brought this out. I knew this Greek word, but I did not attach it to the next one I'm going to mention in a minute. So that Greek word that we translate into English, forgiven or forgive, 
The Greek word is apiomi. Okay? It's kind of a funny word, right? Apiomi is the Greek word. You know what this, this Greek word literally translates to? It literally translates to let go or to leave behind. That's what the Greek word means. Apiomi means let go or leave behind. Whew. Now we're getting hard. It's deep. You know where else this word is used? The Greek word apiomi? You remember that moment when Jesus was on the edge of the lake and he calls and he asks the disciples to come follow him? You remember that moment? There's four disciples, they're in the fishing boats, and Jesus says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of people. I will, uh, I will help you to stop fishing for fish, and you're going to fish for people. We're going to lead people to me, <laughs> Jesus says. Remember when he calls him, he says, come follow me. This is what it says. Listen to what it says in that moment, what the disciples do. Matthew 4, 20, and then 22. And they, these are the disciples that Jesus just asked to follow him, and they left their nets at once and followed him. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You know where the Greek word apiomi is? It, we translate it to left their nets and leaving the boat and left their father behind. The word apiomi is in there. It's interesting. We didn't translate to the word forgiveness in this moment, but it actually means the same thing. To forgive and to let go. To forgive and to leave behind. To forgive and to move on are the same thing. Maybe you've never seen that, but it's true. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. When he uses it in the Lord's Prayer or when he called the disciples. The disciples, in order for them to follow Jesus, they have to first let go of the nets. Right? How silly would it be if the disciples were like, okay, Jesus, we'll follow you, but we're going to drag the nets and the boat and my father with us. Right? Everywhere they go, they're dragging this net and they're dragging this boat across dry land. That makes sense. No, it doesn't. And yet, how many of us emotionally and spiritually are dragging our nets in our boats? Because you never gave forgiveness, offered forgiveness to the one who hurt you. Forgiveness means to let go. It means to leave it behind. Now, please understand, forgiveness is not saying to the other person, what you did was okay. That's important. It's not what you're saying. Forgiveness is not saying you can do that again to me. No, it's not saying that either. Again, go back to creating space, admitting the pain. You need to be honest about it, right? It is not about making all this okay. What it is saying is it's not about actually the other person. You know who forgiveness is for? It's for you. It's you letting go of something very specific that you have wanted to hold on to maybe your whole life. You know what that is? Judgment. Revenge. They hurt you. They hurt you. And so what you believe, it is your job to hurt them back. Tell me that's not true. If they hurt you, you believe it's your job to hurt them back. That's your task. If I can hurt them back worse than they hurt me, then we'll solve the problem. In actual reality, you will simply continue the cycle. That's all you'll do. You'll replicate it. The hurt continues. It just spirals. But what needs to happen is forgiveness is you letting go of something that is not yours. Judgment is whose? It's God's. God will take care of that person. Some of you should take peace and solace in that fact. Or maybe you feel guilty about that. There's a few people that I'm like, Lord, seriously, have at it. I'm, being, I'm just being honest. I mean that. I've actually prayed that. I'm like, God, I, I, I know I, I really seriously want what's best for them. I really do. But if you need to just show them that in a really godly way, that would be great. 
I'm just, I'm being honest. That I've truly prayed some of that when I've been hurt or when somebody more, usually I've prayed that prayer when somebody else that I care about deeply is hurt, honestly. Because I'm so angry about it. The truth is that we need to release the pain and the hurt from us having the judgment. It's not yours. You know who the battle belongs to? Who does it belong to? It always belonged to God. You just mixed it up. You thought it was your job to revenge? No, it's God's. It's always been God's. And that, that judgment will happen either in this life or the next. In eternity, you realize that we don't stop after we die. We continue on. Some people will have the consequences here. Some people will later. It's not a wonderful thought, honestly, but that's the truth. Allow the judgment to be where it's supposed to be. Release the pain. You have to get the pain out of you. Let it go so it's not affecting you. Let me end with this illustration. So there's this show that I can't stand. It's called Dr. Pimple Popper. I'm just, I'm just really curious. How many of you would be willing to admit that you've seen it? Anybody else in here? All right, there's like, okay, it's growing. Some more honesty all of a sudden. There's about 20 of you, okay. Like, some of you were not sure you wanted to admit that. That was like, that was awesome. Some of you were like, loud and proud. Like, yeah, Dr. Pebble Popper, my favorite. You know, and some of you are like, ugh. Like, you did the slow creep, right? Slow creep, all right? Some of you, okay, Dr. Pimple Bauer, if you have, for the, for the other of us in here that weren't the 20 that have admitted that we've seen it, and maybe there's more, some of you closet pimple popper watchers, the truth is I can't stand the show. You know why? Because it's gross. This is what it is. It, it's not really about pimples, honestly. It really isn't. They call her Dr. Pimple Popper because it's just intriguing, right? And you're like, oh, I kind of want to watch that show. That's interesting. Is it about acne? No, not really, All right? Here's what it is about. It's a doctor that actually specializes in like cysts or growth that are abnormally large and in really, really difficult, painful positions, okay? For example, we have a picture of this. This is just one example of this, a knee that's just got this huge growth and it's kind of covered up. Trust me, I looked at a few of these and you, are, you should be thankful I did not show you some of those. Seriously, they are, whew, they are intense, right? But here's the truth, okay? And this is a show, like you could watch this stuff. But the reason I bring this up is because this is really important. Every single one, and I've seen probably part of three different episodes, I, can I be honest? My wife and my brother, they like this show. It's the only reason I've seen this is because they're like, Brett, you need to see this. And I'll watch it. I'll be like, you guys are sick. Again, some of you love it. I know. That's awesome. I have no problem with it. I just don't want to watch it. Because here's the dream. Every single time, the way that Dr. Pimple Popper, <laughs> I don't know what her real name is, Every time she solves this issue, you know what she does? She cuts into the growth and she squeezes out, she pushes out all the stuff that's in there that's causing the pain. Now, here's what I know. The process is actually uncomfortable. In some cases, a little bit painful. Yeah, she numbs it up. She does all that stuff. I'm not saying that. And then has to stitch it all back up and kind of fix it and everything, clean it out. And so the process, as you would imagine, is a little bit uncomfortable. But it's really crazy, especially given the title of the show. A lot of times the people end in tears. Tears of happiness. You know why? Because they've been in pain so long. And she released all the stuff that was causing the pain. And now they're experiencing freedom from pain. It's a beautiful thing. If I didn't think the show was so gross, I actually might watch it. How many of you are holding on to your pain? Seriously. How many of you need to get to the place where you can offer forgiveness? It's not for the other person, it's for you. Are you willing to release it? To let it go? To leave it behind? You know what? One of the the favorite things that I get as a pastor 
is when I see people receive the forgiveness of Jesus that has been offered and also when I see somebody offer forgiveness to somebody else that hurt them a long time ago or recently and all of a sudden what I see is this incredible shift. It's this joy. It's this change. And there's a weight that's lifted off of them and they start to feel free again because the forgiveness releases what is causing the pain. Do you want to be free? If you do, hurt from people is one of the worst things in this world. My encouragement to you is the only way out of it is to admit that it's there and then get to the point where you can forgive because it will release the pain from you. That's what Jesus wants. That's what we want here at Northridge is for you to walk and live in freedom. Will you accept it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a tough topic because hurt goes so deep. It sits so deeply inside of us. And, and we believe it's ours to hold on to. We believe that if we release the pain, then we're going we're gonna to feel other things that we don't want to feel. We feel like we're giving the person a pass. We feel like we're letting them off uh, in freedom and they're not going to have to pay the consequences. We feel like the revenge, the judgment is ours to give. But we need to remember, Lord, the battle is yours. That you are perfectly loving, but you're also perfectly just. That fairness exists because of you. And so anybody that's in here, maybe there's somebody that they've, they've never heard something like this. I know there's people in here that they've, they long ago released the hurt and the pain. They forgave the other person that hurt them a long time ago. But some in here are still dragging those nets. They're dragging those boats. And, and Jesus has offered to them, and they say, please let it go. Follow me. Just, just release it. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Let it go. And yet, there's people in here that they've been holding on to it this whole time. God, would you just remind them all they have to do? It's not easy. It's not even pain-free to forgive. But forgiveness is the only path to freedom. To freedom from the pain. Remind all of us today the forgiveness that you've offered to us and the forgiveness that you want us to offer to others so that we can exist in freedom from pain. Remind us that you hold everything in your hands, that it's yours, not ours. We pray this, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.